I don't know who's cheering, but I like it. We're going to be in Romans chapter 5 tonight, and certainly as we have sung those songs, um, this is no surprise to you, but I find myself getting a little teary-eyed in the seats there as we sing about all that Christ has done for us. And uh, certainly as we think about his birth, uh, we think about it with great joy. But the reason we think about his birth with great joy uh, is because of what he did for us on the cross. That he came, he was born of a virgin, he lived the perfect and sinless life, and then he died the death that we deserved and rose again victoriously. And as he rose again, he brought with him great victory that comes to all those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so as we celebrate the birth of Christ today, as we look forward to gathering again tomorrow, truly it is with anticipation of thinking of Easter, and then from Easter it's with anticipation as we think about Christ coming again for his church. Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19 is going to be our text tonight, and it says this, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's obedience many were made sinners, or I'm sorry, for by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love for us, and we thank you for that display of love uh, that you have given to us in sending your Son to be the sacrifice, the payment for our sins. And God, I pray tonight as we look to your word over the next few minutes that you would encourage our hearts, um, that, that we would be strengthened in this idea that we cannot attain salvation through ourselves, that Jesus has done all that is necessary to reconcile us back to you. God, may our hearts rejoice in this truth. And as we think about the baby in the manger, may our hearts also think about the man on the cross. And even beyond that, may we think about the one who's coming to take us home to be with you forever. We thank you for your kindness towards us. We ask that you'd be with our service tonight as we look to your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Romans is a weighty and very theological book. In an attempt to understand the fullness of salvation in its greatest sense, One could study Romans and actually never reach its ends. It's packed with truths that theologians still grapple with today. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this while in Corinth as he was nearing the end of his third missionary journey. Chapter 5 of Romans is all about justification. In verse number 1, Paul states his claim. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the rest of the chapter, he goes on to answer the questions of why we need to be justified in the first place, and then he tells us how this justification came to be. Paul draws many parallels here in this chapter between two men. These two men both had a profound impact on the world, and we're still seeing the effects of these two men in our world today. And the truth is, they will continue until the end of time. Who are these two men that Paul writes about? Well, the first is Adam, and the second is Christ. When I was in Cambodia, there was a saying that was 
often repeated in my time there, and the saying was this, same, same, but different. As I heard that phrase over and over again, it captured my attention, and then as we went around the the cities that we were in, we went to a market one day, and I realized it was a very popular saying because they were selling t-shirts with that phrase on it. And if you know me, and you know my love for t-shirts, that was my prized souvenir that I brought home, and I wore it uh, for many years until I wore holes in it. Uh, But I would always walk around with this shirt on saying, same, same, but different. This phrase simply means that things appear to be the same, but there are some fundamental fundamental elements that cause them to be different. Well, as I was reading through Romans 5, this is the phrase that came to my mind. As we said a few weeks ago, and really throughout the whole Christmas season, Christ came to be like us so that he could do what we could never do in life and secure what we could never secure through his death and resurrection. There are many similarities in Adam and Christ, but the differences are what make the difference. Both Adam and Christ were men. God created Adam as the first man in the Garden of Eden on the sixth day of creation. And as we saw last week, Christ became a man and dwelt among us in John 1, in Luke 2, and in Galatians 4. Both Adam and Christ acted as figureheads or representatives of a greater grouping of people. Adam, being the first man, is the representative of all humanity. Christ, being the second Adam... And the first God-man is the representative of a new race of people whom he would redeem and save for himself. Both Adam and Christ were given a command. Adam failed to keep the command which God gave him in the garden. He took of the tree. He lowered his gaze off of what God said to focus on. And he focused on his own desires instead. And in his disobedience, he gave place to the devil and brought death to all men. Christ, on the other hand, kept the law of God perfectly in every way. Never did he sin. Never did he lower his gaze and allow his heart and mind to become fixated on lesser things. Never did he give place to the devil. And finally, both Adam and Christ in their actions have had a great impact on the world. Paul tells us in Romans 5 that in Adam all die. Because of his sin, and because he stands as a representative for all of humanity, his sin is then passed on even to this day. In fact, the whole earth itself groans in response to and because of Adam's sin, and it will until the day of redemption and consummation. Christ, though, all who come to him by faith are made alive. Justification in Christ brings life, and this life is firmly secured in the eternal work of Jesus Christ. And just as Adam's sin impacted the world, so Christ's obedience also has a great impact on the world as many come to faith in him. And so as we think of Adam and Christ, we can agree with the Cambodians. Same, same, but different. Same, same, but different. And as we see in Adam, all die. We can rejoice today that in Christ, all who come to him by faith are made alive. And again, it's the differences in them that make the difference. And so as the pastor and hymn writer Charles Wesley writes in Hark the Herald, Angels Sing, Come, desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. 
Adam's likeness now efface. Stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And so tonight, I want to look briefly at the second Adam from above and see what it is that he brings us as he comes as a baby, as he dies as a man, and as we look to him for our eternal hope. The first thing we see is that he brings righteousness for our unrighteousness. He brings righteousness for our unrighteousness. In verse 19, Paul tells us that we were made sinners by the offense of Adam. This sin nature that is passed on makes all who ever live save Christ as unrighteous before a holy and just God. In verse number 18, we see that what we deserve for our sin is judgment. And this judgment would bring about an ultimate condemnation. And if you're familiar with any of those terms, you'll understand that our position as humans is not good. If we're left in our sinful state, our unrighteousness will condemn us, as Paul says, to death in Romans 6.23. For the wages of the things that we have done is death. And this death was a physical death. When Adam and Eve took of the fruit of the tree, they began to die. But in a greater way, it brought a spiritual death. That their relationship with a holy and just God was now severed and broken. And this death, though it was physical and though it was spiritual, the Bible also reveals to us that it is eternal. That if we are left in our sinful state before a holy and just God, then we have no hope in this world. But Paul goes on in Romans 6.23 and says, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And while we must understand the weight of our sin, I think we also at the very same time must understand the weight of God's gift. And the weight of His gift and the value of His gift is of greater value than any wrong that we have ever done. And when we look to Him, we are made righteous as He is righteous in His obedience. And so it's not that we're simply unrighteous, but it's that in our unrighteousness, we deserve a punishment that is eternal, and that punishment that is eternal separates us from God, but then Christ came. And at the fullness of time, he was born. And at the right time, Paul says in this chapter, he died for the ungodly. And all those who put their faith in Christ will receive forgiveness of sins. And then we are elevated to the position of Christ as righteous. And so the righteousness of Christ was not simply enough for him to be righteous, but Christ's righteousness was enough that it could be imputed to us to make us righteous as well before a holy God. Some would think of this or hear this and say, well, I can, I can be righteous through my own efforts or I can keep the law in my own ability and, and apply that righteousness to my own account. Friend, stop kidding yourself. Stop kidding yourself. Because there's no amount of good works that you could do that would ever make you righteous. But we rejoice today because as God looked at us and saw us in our sinful state, He sent one who would stand in our behalf and make us righteous through his sacrifice and through his blood. The truth is, as we think about ourselves, we can't even go a day at times, let alone an hour, without doing something that offends a holy and righteous God. And when we say that God is offended by that, it doesn't mean that he's easily offended, but it means that he is so holy 
and so righteous that any amount of sin is an offense to him because any amount of sin in reality is done against him. But as we see Christ come, Paul tells us in these verses that he brings with him a righteousness that can be applied to our account. I wonder today, have, have you received the righteousness of Christ? As we think about Jesus coming as a baby and living as a child and growing up as a teenager, I've got kids in those categories in my home right now. And let's be honest, some days it's rough. But do we understand that raising Jesus, there was never a rough day? Why? Because in every stage, in every phase of his life, in every day that he lived, he lived out the righteousness of his heavenly father, and that allowed him to be the sacrifice for our sins. And so when we needed someone to stand in our place, Christ came and stood in perfection, fulfilling the whole law of God, while also giving himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And this is the Christ that we celebrate at Christmas. And so we must not look to ourselves, but we must look to him. We must look to him, for he came as the conquering seed of the woman who crushed and will crush the head of the serpent. He came as the lion of the tribe of Judah and as the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He came as one who was full of grace and truth. He came as one who was the way, the truth, and the life. He came in perfection and he came in righteousness. And he is offering this righteousness to all who will believe in his name. And so this Christ is the one that we celebrate. This is the second Adam from above. And by faith in his name, we understand that this is the only way to be reinstated in the love of the Father. And so let us rejoice tonight as we think about this Jesus bringing righteousness on our behalf. The second thing that I want to see this evening is that he brings hope for our hopelessness. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. That line is a line of hope as we think about the work of Christ and what he would perform through offering himself as a sacrifice for sin. So he brings hope for our hopelessness. There has never been a more hopeless situation than humanity being left to themselves. This morning, as the kids woke up, they wanted to watch the show called Baby Animals, I think it was. And it's, it's like a National Geographic show. And we're watching it. I'm sitting in my chair, actually looking over my notes. And I kept picking my head up to watch what was on the screen. And all of a sudden, these baby elephants come on the screen. And I could not look away at that point. Like, they, they captured me, right? Baby elephants. I wish I could have one for my own. But I don't think they would survive too well here. But we're watching these elephants and it comes time for this whole herd of elephants to cross a river. And the larger elephants made their way across the river with no problem. And there was a mom and a few other bigger elephants left behind with one little baby. I don't know what they're called. We'll just call them a baby. And that mom, you could see, was looking across that river and she was contemplating if it was safe for her to cross with her baby. She was hesitant. Everyone else was trying to step in the water and that mom was holding her baby back because she understood the danger of the situation. 
Well, as time went on, she realized she needed to cross, and so she made her way into the river with her baby, and as they got into a part of the river that had rapids, that baby started to wash away, and I almost lost it in my recliner. I'm like, no, save the baby elephant, right? I'm, I'm looking at that situation and thinking, this is hopeless. And three or four other elephants came. It, it was a beautiful thing. You guys think I'm crazy right now. It was a beautiful thing. Three or four other adult elephants came, and they assisted that mom in assisting that baby elephant to the other side of the river. As I looked at the screen on my TV, I thought, this is hopeless. When God looked at humanity, you know what he saw? A hopeless situation. A situation that nobody could step in and cure from a human perspective. A situation that even if we put all of our attempts together, we would still be lost in our sins, hopeless before a holy and just God. So what does God do? He sends his son to this earth to make a way for us to be redeemed. And as the second Adam from above came to this earth, he brought hope for the hopeless. And if you're unaware today, friend, each of us in this room at one point in our lives were the hopeless. But many in the room tonight have found hope. And I would ask you today, have you found hope? Have you found the hope that Jesus alone brings? As we saw in Paul's writings in Romans that the situation that we are in because of the first Adam is not a good situation. But God in his goodness sends one who offered justification through salvation in his name to rescue us and redeem us. In verse number 18, he says, By the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto the justification of life. I would encourage you to go back and read Romans 5 and see the beauty that is written down for us to help us grasp and comprehend what God did for us in, in sending his son. We were hopeless. And then Christ came bringing hope in himself to redeem and rescue all who would look to him by faith. The all that Paul mentions here that are justified are those who believe. We don't believe in a universal salvation that everyone in the world will be saved, but we believe that all who look to Christ will be saved. And so I would ask you again today, have you looked to Christ? Are you trusting in his righteous act to rescue you and redeem you? If you were to stand before a holy God and God was to say, why should I let you in to heaven? And your response is anything other than Christ alone, then you have misunderstood salvation. But if in that moment you understand that your only hope in this life is Jesus Christ my friend, then God has done a marvelous work inside of you. And he's given you hope that will outlast this world. In 1 John 4, 9 and 10, part of what Matt read earlier, it says this, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In the end of verse 10, we see a weird word there that we don't commonly use. And it's that word propitiation. And what does that mean? Well, it simply means payment. But this thought is huge. And it's one that we can't gloss over or glance over. Because what God is saying, it impacts each of us. What God is not saying is this. He's not saying that outside of himself, Jesus made a way. What do you mean? 
If I was to pay a debt for you, if you were to pay a debt for me, I would pay outside of myself. What does that mean? I would take my wallet and I would pay a debt that you owed. It cost me, it would cost me something, but it wouldn't cost me everything. But when it says that Jesus was the propitiation for our sins, it doesn't mean that he made a payment. It means that he was the payment. It doesn't mean that he acted through other means to justify us. It means that he gave his life in our behalf so that we could be rescued and so that we could be redeemed. And when Paul is writing here in Romans, he's trying to relay to us and to the readers that would read it back then that the only option of hope in this world is hope in Christ alone. Why? Because he is the propitiation for our sins. It's not through us. It's not through our efforts. It's not through our means. It's simply in Christ alone. And so as the second Adam from above came to this earth, he came offering hope to all who would put their faith in him. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Again, our righteousness is not a self-righteousness. But our righteousness is the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us. And in his righteousness, we find hope. And so in Adam, we have a sin nature that is imputed to us. But as Christ went to the cross, we see that our sins, those who believe, our sins were imputed to him. And as he rose again victoriously, it takes another turn and his righteousness is then imputed to us. And because of his work, we have hope. And this is the second Adam from above that we sing about. And he was and is very God of very God. He came in righteousness to stand in our place, and in doing so, he brought hope that we would have never known without him. He is the newborn king that we give glory to. He is the one who is adored in the heavens. He is the prince of peace. He is the desire of nations, and he has come to make a way back to God. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, he has effaced the likeness of Adam and all who would believe, and he has then stamped his image in its place. And through his righteous act, he has reinstated us in the love of the Father. And so on the eve of the day that we celebrate his birth, we sing praise to his name, for he alone is worthy. I wonder, again, have you believed in this Christ? John 20, 31, we referenced it last Sunday. But John says this at the end of his gospel, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing, ye might have life through his name. And so as we think about the baby who came in the manger, and as we think about the life that he lived and the death that he died, we celebrate today because in his name, we have hope. In Adam, as humans, all humans, we all are cursed with sin, with a sin nature that leads us to death. But in Christ, all who believe 
will find eternal life in his name. I wonder, as we have contemplated so much of Christmas this year, have we looked beyond the baby in the manger to see the Savior on the cross? Have we looked beyond the prophecies that were given about one who was coming and do we see the one who died in our place so that we could be made righteous in the sight of a holy and just God?